what's happening, guys. Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Coming up on today's show, can you believe this? John Jones wants hazard pay. I'll talk about that today. Some adjustments Conor McGregor needs to make for Dustin Poirier and something that is blowing my mind with regards to Ben Askren and Jake Paul. But first, I want to begin with something that has me all fired up today. I was so annoyed last night. I sat down to watch the one fighting championship. And they're going to be on TNT, which I thought it was TBS. I find it's TNT, and it's going to start at 7 o'clock. It says it right there on the poster. Right there on all of their media, media and marketing. So I get a snack. I'm ready to go. Eddie Alvarez is going to fight. Demetrius Johnson's on the card. Rich Franklin's one of the announcers. I mean, every everything's going my way. Turn the TV on. It's not on. It's on three hours later than they said that it was on. Now, I'm sure there's enough blame to go around there, including Chael's cable provider. Either way, that's annoying. It's terribly annoying. And when I end up watching the fight, Eddie goes to work. Eddie Alvarez just does what Eddie does, which is a sprint and overwhelm somebody pounds them out and they go home. But Eddie had punches that they deemed were back of the head, so they disqualified him. And I'm not sure they weren't back of the head and disqualifiable. It was just one of these weird situations because if you go and watch it, Eddie's opponent is holding his hand, covering his ear. Now, he isn't trying to like hold his ear specifically. He was just trying to block his head. But the way that it worked is he's covering his ear. The rule on those punches state anything coming from that direction, from behind, as long as your hand touches the ear, it's fair game. No matter how big your hand is, even if it was an elbow coming down where it could be 12 inches long. I mean, this is similar to what we saw on the feet with Surreal gone and Junior Dos Santos that Junior is complaining because Junior for sure was hit in the back of the head where you're not allowed to touch. However... His ear was also touched, but it was a form. He had all this ground to cover. You guys stand with me? It's very relevant because when the opponent is literally holding his ear, there is no way to hit the ear. That now became impossible. So now you're left to wonder, and I am too, by the way. I'm not passing judgment. Might have learned something here. But you are left to wonder, when they say you must touch the ear, is that literal Or is that more of a figurative meaning that your hand is in that area? Because when the opponent reached up and covers his ear, you now cannot hit the ear. Are you with me? It's a a real trick. It's a real tricky one. So where Eddie was hitting him, had the guy's hand been down, it would have hit his ear. But his hand wasn't down. His hand was covering the ear. And therefore, Eddie, by definition, did not hit the ear and was disqualified. Maybe he should have been. I'm really not passing judgment. I'm just talking about this sequence, not to mention disqualification comes with, at least colloquially, a level of intent. And where Eddie's head was positioned, Eddie couldn't see. Eddie could not see where he was hitting. He was looping these punches all the way around. So first off, Eddie can't see where he's hitting. Second off, he was towards the back of the head. It would have included the ear had the guy not been covering his ear, but because he was, by definition, I guess they got to disqualify him. Whole thing was a mess. Whole thing's still a mess. I don't know where you go from there. I don't want something bad. I don't want any of us to tease the opponent. He did nothing wrong. Referee stepped in and called it. It is what it is. Could have called it a TKO. The opponent did nothing wrong. Then Demetrius fights. Now, this was the... Of all the things I've seen Mighty Mouse do, this might have been the coolest, okay? Demetrius gets whipped. I've never seen that before. And he wasn't, he got out-wrestled. I mean, Henry Cejudo couldn't out-wrestle Demetrius Johnson. It's one of those things. Like, Demetrius's MMA wrestling is next level, but Demetrius was on bottom a couple of times. Okay, great. Nothing against Demetrius. We know his opponent's a very skilled guy. So when they're down, the opponent jumps up and knees him right in the face. Five times worse than what Peter Yawn did to Aljo. Knocks him out. Well, that's legal in one. They're fighting in Singapore. The grounded fighter rule does not apply the way that you guys would recognize it here in the States. It's not part of the unified rules. It's not part of the ABC at all. 
completely legal, knocks Demetrius out. Chill, why'd you say Demetrius was cool? Well, because they asked Demetrius about the grounded knee rule after the fight. After, the, after he gets knocked out by this knee, of which was not a legal tactic for any part of his career until he gets over there. And you know what Demetrius said? He said, you know, I really like that rule. <laughs> he said, these are great rules. And I just thought it was a cool thing, you know? It was a cool thing that, that the very rule is what bit him in the ass, got him knocked out and cost him the fight. And he came out and defended the rule. Thought it was appropriate. That was my takeaway, man. Even if I was three hours late and my snack was cold and I had to watch it by myself because Joel had gone home, it was interesting. I mean, it was an interesting little show and it was interesting that we did it. And not for nothing, it was good to see Rich Franklin. Rich Franklin should be calling all these fights. I hope that he does. Good to see you, old Rich. I haven't seen him in about five years. I just spoke briefly about Eddie Alvarez, and now I want to talk about a guy, as some of you are aware, who knows Eddie really well. Can Conor McGregor make the necessary changes to beat Dustin Poirier? In this match, I, I will tell you, I spent a lot of time breaking down fights, guys, but it comes from the X's and O's. It comes with the punch followed by the kick. This guy's southpaw, this guy's orthodox. It always comes to that. But the one thing that I know, because I had done it, and the one thing that fellow fighters know is the X's and O's that everybody sees at home are three and four and five down the list. It's going to start with grit. It's going to start with toughness. It's going to be followed by heart. Conditioning is something that you can weaponize and make the other guy fold. I mean, it's one of these things where when you bring it to the audience, you're always talking about the jab followed by the cross. But it's a different mindset known as an intangible. However, if the audience can't see it, you can't entertain anybody by talking about it. So we never do. But I bring this into you because this fight is going to be a physical battle. It is not going to be a mental test. It's not. We have seen these guys both on highs, both at lows, both trying to come up, both that have already made it. Both have fought for championships, and now they're going to this super huge fight where there's no belt even on the line. This is not a mental battle. This is going to be physical. So can Connor make the adjustments? And you've got to start step one. And we saw this with our own eyes, but we also will listen to Connor. We'll take Connor's opinion for it. The calf kick. Problematic. Can Connor stop that? And there's only a couple of ways that you can defend a calf kick. One, you could just bring it up and block. If you guys don't know what bring it up and block means, think about what Weidman did to Anderson Silva the night that Anderson had that, that accident with his leg. That was called a check. Weidman was able to bring his leg up, turn it to where the shin was coming, cause damage back to the opponent. If you defend a kick correctly, if you defend a kick correctly, you will hurt your opponent far greater than if you landed a kick effectively. Defense to kicks can be not only fight ending, they can be career ending. And again, just as example, think back, think of what happened to Anderson. He was the offensive man, Weidman on defense. Right? I mean, you see what happens? Kicks are very dangerous for this reason. You have to set them up perfectly. One thing that makes a calf kick so compelling is even if the person checks it, it does less damage to you. 101, and stay with me here, you want to kick a guy in the thigh. And when I say 101, I'm talking about when kicks were shown to the world of mixed martial arts done in 1995 by a man named Marco Huaz. It's the thigh. Now, if you'd studied kickboxing before this, you would have already known that trick. I'm speaking purely to mixed martial arts. When Marco Huaz showed this to our sport, it was the thigh. Everybody that came along after Marco Huaz, all the way to Chuck Liddell, just to name a great striker, all went for the thigh. Benson Henderson is the one that brought this technique to the calf, to the world of MMA. Sure, Benson grabbed it, glory, kickboxing, something along these lines. But the calf kick is totally different. It doesn't hurt your opponent as bad. However, your risk versus reward is much higher. Much higher. If the guy defends it, yes, offensively, you're not going to hit him as, hurt him as bad in one kick as if you hit him in the thigh. However, his ability to defend it is going to be greatly different. Let me tell you about a night. Tim Sylvia became the champion of the world. He became the champion of the world because Rico Rodriguez threw a kick. And while Rico was on one foot, Tim threw one straight down the middle and knocked him out. That's the other defense to a kick. 
I've now shown you both. One defense is what Weidman did, and the other is to throw a straight right down the middle. Either one of those will get the guy to stop kicking. I want to bring this to you, though. I want you to be aware, in case you saw Connor got hit with those kicks, and you're thinking, well, it's only four months in between fights, and he's not going to be able to build a skill set good enough. No, excuse me. He's only got... There's two things he can do. There's no other things created. He can check the kick or he can respond to the kick. There's no other technique that's even created. The question becomes, how was Poirier setting it up? And that's not a question for us to answer. That's a question for Connor. That's the one thing Connor's going to have to learn. How did he set this up? How did I not see this coming? What did he put in front of me? Was it a feint? Some guys will say something to you. Hey, boom, make you look, right? Some guys will faint. Uh, some guys will hide it. Couple of punches, kick comes last. You don't see it coming. You're too busy. But there's only so many things you can do, okay? It's like music. There's only so many notes, and you don't have to all of a sudden get a whole lot better or even be the smartest guy in the room. You do have to identify how did he set this up. Why was I not seeing this kick come? It's not about the damage of the kick or the mere fact that you don't want that kick to come. How did it come? Because nothing in this sport will come without something before it. Nothing. No punch is ever thrown without something. Now, that's your job as coaches to sit down and break down each and every opponent that you could possibly have because they're all different. There's a number of things that you can do. A guy's going to throw a he will always throw a jab in front of it. By example, he will always take one step this side before he throws it. He'll always move his shoulders before he throws it or something along these lines. You've now got to figure out what it was. And as far as Poirier doing that to Connor, it's going to be a little bit tough because Poirier broke that weapon out exclusive, almost, almost exclusive to that night. So things get a little bit trickier on McGregor's side. When Coach Kavanaugh sits down to break this down, he doesn't get to bring up Poirier's last 10 fights and figure out all the opponents he did it to in addition to his pupil, Conor McGregor. No, Coach Kavanaugh's going to have to break down one fight of which he has one round to identify one technique. It's hard. It's hard. When you want to talk about can Conor flip the script, and Conor's talking about doing things mental putting himself back in trying less comfortable positions and situations to try to get a required outcome. This isn't mental. Connor didn't quit. Connor got knocked out. Now, the only reason Connor's face was there to get knocked out is because his leg was dead. Yes, I'm sure mentally he started to fade. I'm sure when Connor sees it, he go, well, Chael, I, I was actually starting to fade. I understand that he was found himself in a fight that was harder than he thought it was going to be. And whenever that happens, things unravel very quickly. However... Your opponent's feeling whatever you're feeling. All the anxiety that you have about, man, I just want tonight over. He's feeling it too. Who can stay in here longer? Connor wasn't able to stay in. He wasn't able to stay in because he couldn't protect his face. He couldn't protect his face because he didn't have his feet under him anymore. And I want to go back to an example that I, I referenced a moment ago, which was the night Tim Sylvia knocked out Rico. Rico threw a kick. Okay, if you guys haven't seen this, but if you haven't just didn't know what was aware, this was a very important night and a very important match for you to study and know about. Rico, arguably, particularly at that time, was better than Tim. Rico was a very good fighter. Tim, very long, very tall, hit real hard. When Rico came out and led with a kick, and all Tim did is throw a straight down the middle. That is something that is a lot of work. I'm making it sound so he threw a kick and he did the, It's a lot of work. It's a lot of timing. You have to know exactly where your opponent's at. And when he does it, problem for Rico. Okay, there's nowhere to go when you're throwing a kick. One foot is now on the ground. There's nowhere to go. So when you take the risk to throw a kick, your entire body is going to be stationary. There's things you can do, starting with a setup, followed by stepping outside. Third, keeping your hands up. A number of things that athletes who get knocked out don't do, but there's ways to protect it. So there's still reasons that you should throw a kick, but for the most part, kicks are secondary. In the world of kickboxing, where you can go out and kick and box, the sport of kickboxing's organizing body had to put a rule in place that you must throw three kicks per round or you could lose a point. Why? Because kicking isn't very effective in a fight. So guys would go into kickboxing and throw no kicks and win fights. 
you do have to learn how to defend them. You do have to learn what those looks are like, but the hands are far greater tool than kicks proven to the point that kickboxers quit throwing kicks and only started to throw them once a rule put in place said that they had to. I want you to be aware of that because kicks do need to be secondary. And yes, there's an exception to every rule. John Jones with that reach can come off, start a fight with a kick. The general rule though, and the general rule that does need to be observed and be followed is you finish with a kick. Start with the hands, finish with a kick. Don't walk in and start with a kick. That was the mistake that Rico made. Now, I'm only bringing this to you because before you think there has to be a a massive sit-down and meeting of the minds for Conor McGregor to learn how to stop that kick, good news if you're Team McGregor, there's only two things you can do. And of those two things, you only need to do one of them. But you can stop that kick in its entirety. You can stop that threat from ever happening if you can just figure out what the setup was. And it's going to be hard. Connor's in a real position here. He's going to have to really close his eyes. He's going to have to really take himself back and try to remember that moment. Or he's not going to be able to identify it. He's not going to be able to identify it. He can sit with his coaches. His coaches can say, okay, we think that we found. And they might be right, but Connor's going to have to participate here greatly. And I will just share with you a lot of times when you are in a physical battle that isn't a mental battle, you'll get it wrong. I have a match. I'm just going to personalize, throw myself in this. But I had an opponent named Ethan Bosch. And I could beat Ethan Bosch. I have beaten Ethan Bosch. But Ethan Bosch could whip me too. He could whip me. In the world of wrestling, there's something called a technical fall. Technical fall is essentially the mercy rule where you get so many points ahead, the referee goes, let's just stop. There's no point in going on, let's just stop. I could beat Ethan Bosch, but Ethan Bosch could technical fall me. But he did it with one move. And I knew I was going to see Bosch at the Olympic trials. So my way of getting ready for Bosch, whose one move was a front headlock, my way of getting ready for Bosch was to wake up earlier and run further. Was to stay after and lift weights. I was looking to get better and tougher the wrong way. This was a situation, Chael. You have to stop one technique. So instead of running and instead of lifting, how much time today did you spend on defense of the one technique that's caused you problems with this one athlete who you know you're going to see in the semifinals for the Olympic trials? None. I spent none. I spent no time breaking down that technique. I spent no time looking at footage. I spent no time talking to experts. I spent no time on the mat on this one technique. I knew I had one technical issue, but I thought if I got stronger and in better shape and could go harder, I could beat him. Why? Why would I think that? Why would I think that? That doesn't make any sense. I'm having a technical issue with the technique and I'm solving that by running? I'm solving that by doing overhead prep. What would I possibly have been thinking? Where was my mom? Where was my dad? I mean, there was people, I should have just, somebody should have come to me and said, Chael, this guy's going to front headlock you and he's going to kill, he's going to choke you to death and score a ton of points. Work on that position. It never crossed my mind. It didn't even cross my mind after the Olympic trials when I did get put in that position. When he did do it to me, it was about 15 years after the fact that I looked back on that and go, why didn't I learn how to defend a front headlock? If my problem with Bosch is a front headlock, why am I traveling all over the world working with all of these guys, perfecting my arm drag and my duck under and my gut wrench? I have a front headlock issue waiting in front of me in the semifinals. Why am I not working on the front headlock? If you know there's a problem, go to the problem. If the guy's got his hands locked around you and you can't move, the lock is the problem. If a guy's got his hands locked around you and the lock's the problem, why are you smacking him in the head? The head isn't the problem. The problem is the lock. Go to the lock. Go to the problem. I bring this to you because Connor's talking about he's going to lock down. He's going to do things differently. That's for mental. This isn't going to be a mental battle. This is a physical battle. Can McGregor stop the kicks? Can he stop the kicks so he's light on his feet? so that he has motion, so that he can get his head out of the way, so that he can get that left hand firing. And it's always tough, right? 
You never know, do I need to focus on the mental side and get a little tougher? Do I need to focus on the physical side and get a little bit more strategic? It's always tough to know. It's very tough to identify. I am submitting for you that. This is a physical battle. Connor's going to need to learn how to stop that kick. There's only two techniques to stop that kick. In the history of time, only two has ever been created. He can lift that knee or he can he can respond down the middle. Even better than that would be to avoid it coming in the first place. So now he's got to ask himself, what was the setup? Now, before we move on to talk about some of my takeaways from the Ben Askren, Jake Paul press conference, let's take a moment to shout out one of our sponsors. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Seed, the daily symbiotic your gut can't live without. Is your probiotic lying to you? Ask for the receipts, the science receipts. Guys, fact, many probiotics cannot survive the trip to your gut, but Seed's daily symbiotic can and does. The scientists over at Seed came up with a patented delivery technology, which is a capsule-in-capsule design containing both pre- and probiotics. This design safeguards the probiotics as they travel through the rough conditions of stomach acid, enzymes, bile, salt, all while delivering the strains 100% alive and well to the colon, where they can offer all the health benefits they were created to. I gotta tell you guys, my body feels great and I've experienced a lot more mental clarity since taking seed. It's been easy to take and it comes in very handsome packaging. More and more scientific research is proving that a smooth running digestive system helps with effective training. This product has been engineered for the body's optimal performance in all areas. That's something to keep in mind for you pro and aspiring athletes out there. If you want to start a new healthy habit today, visit seed.com slash Use the code CHAIL to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash chael. Use the code chael, C-H-A-E-L, for 20% off. Guys, I must tell you, this Askren Paul business has gotten so far out of hand in comparison to where I thought that this would go. Paul has proven through his boxing matches, that he has a base that is willing to come with him. He's proven that. He's a draw. But we've never known how big of a draw. Even in his last fight where he fought this Robinson, those numbers did great, but you had Tyson and Roy Jones on the bill. So then you just don't know. You don't know, can somebody that wasn't a main event carry a card by themselves? Were people here for Paul? Were they here because it was Iron Mike coming back? Right? It's just a guess. But we can recognize that Paul did good. And Paul had done well in his other matches. Now, let me tell you where I'm coming from. I'm looking forward to this. I'm counting down the days. But I got a YouTube channel. Your YouTube views are not only audited, they're publicly audited. I will know any big fight. I can test any big fight. I am part of the algorithm that the UFC and Bellator use to equate what they're going to have in terms of a big fight. I will bring it to you guys. You guys will let us know, is that something you want to see? And it's not just through the comment sections or the likes or the dislikes, it's straight up views. We have champions within these organizations. You will never hear me talk about why, because I've already spoke about them and it bombed. Nobody cared. I mean, it's just one of these things. So it's a great place to start. Really great place. Just go to YouTube with a topic. See how many people cared. I test this with Submission Underground all the time. And you guys let me know in your own little way which direction you want me to pursue or stop. Come up with a new idea. I only bring this to you because the numbers and attention coming in for Askren versus Paul, they're exponentially higher than what I would have guessed. And I started on this fight in a pretty good place. I was in a pretty good place of interest. And I had a pretty good handle for your guys' interest level. It's much greater than that. Much greater. I can't seem to talk about Askren and Paul enough and talk to them about them in enough different ways that quits being compelling because there's so many questions about this match. This is very hard to sit down and debate with somebody and you, boom, here's your argument versus their argument. We haven't seen enough of them. 
We have not seen enough of Jake Paul. Some of the greater things that we've got from Jake Paul comes from the training room, comes from foot of the, some of the footage, comes from the hours he's putting in, the sweat that he has, the time of day, who he's going with. Ben Askren's never boxed. So we've seen Ben compete and we've seen Ben even fight. We've seen Ben train, but we just, we don't know enough, right? That question still exists. I watched Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith was given a breakdown with Mike Swick. Swick was the host and Swick asked Anthony what he thought. And Anthony goes, you know, I really thought that it was going to be Paul. When this fight first started, even Askren, this is Anthony talking, even Ben Askren himself will tell you he's not Mr. Hands. He's not Mr. Boxer. And he said, and I could see that Jake was working hard. I know that Jake isn't very good at boxing, but he is getting better and he's working hard. And I was leaning towards Jake, but Anthony changed his mind. He changed his mind based on solely the press conference. Now, what can you get from a press conference? What the hell's Lionheart talking about here? How could you think one guy was going to beat another guy under Queensberry's rules and with them both sitting on their ass holding a microphone come to another conclusion? Well, Anthony gave the answer, and here's what he said. He said Paul was just so out of his sorts. He was out of his element. He was genuinely intimidated. He had a genuine fear within his responses. And by the way, I'm adding to what Anthony, I'm taking what Anthony said, I'm adding a little bit to it. I don't, don't want you to think I'm quoting him perfectly, but he was talking about Jake Paul is now face-to-face -face with a guy he's been talking about and a guy he's about to fight. He has a reasonable belief that Ben's going to stay in that chair and he's going to stay in his chair, but there is nobody in between them. And he doesn't know with all certainty that this isn't going to jump off. And you could see that within his tone and his demeanor. And it is very important to try to get into the mind of a fighter. It's very important. Because you can't make an argument that they don't make for themselves. You cannot come out and say that Paul is better and Paul is going to dominate if Paul himself doesn't believe that. So that's where it gets tough. And that's where these press conferences come in handy. And it was very accurate what Anthony Smith was saying. Paul did not want to go too far. He wanted to insult Ben. He wanted to get the quirks in there, but it is just him and Ben, and there's nobody in between, and there's cameras rolling, and he's got this whole reputation on the line. He also was trying to keep Ben in a box. He was trying to make sure he got his lines in, but nothing for this guy to come across the, the cage. Swick then weighed in on it, and Swick said, you know, Anthony, I'm not street fight guy. I don't get into that stuff, and I don't really know how I would react if somebody pie-faced me like Ben did to Jake. He goes, but I, I can tell you that I wouldn't slap him on the ass. I don't know what my response would be, but it would not be to pat him on the butt. And I thought Swick made it. That was kind of interesting, too, because I didn't get as much from it. I didn't get as much from that press conference as these guys did. I've never gotten much out of a press conference in general aside from entertainment. I've been greatly entertained. I did realize through the buildup of Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, okay, Conor's serious. Conor thinks he can beat this guy. I did gather that. Four press conferences, hour apiece, four hours of this. Conor wanted to fight Floyd. It wasn't an act and believed that he could beat him. Now, I recognize that that doesn't equate to a victory, but that math and logic in reverse... 100% equates to a loss, right? A guy being confident, a guy wanting to do it, and a guy believing in his preparation and his coaches and his skills and his hard work will not always take him to victory. But a guy who questions his coaching, who questions his work, who questions his sacrifice for sure will result in loss. So when Anthony was breaking this down with Swick, I got to tell you, I left with I, I left with a different feeling because Anthony is right. And Anthony's also telling you the mind of a fighter because he's been in those spots. Anthony Smith's fought for world championships. He's fought in a number of main events. Fought in a number of co-main events. Fought a, a number of world champions. But it's one of these things where Anthony's been at press conferences and he knows that energy that he feels. He knows when he's getting to somebody, but he's also admitting to you when somebody's gotten to him. So it's very compelling to hear a fighter like Anthony Smith start breaking down a press conference between two fighters. And you know what? I have the same conclusion that Anthony. And I may not have had those opinions if he hadn't said them. I'm stealing them from him.
I'm parroting what he said, but look, part of being good at what you do is to be able to recognize and identify when something's right. Anthony's making a good point and he's right and so swick. I don't know what I would do if a guy pie-faced me either. I do know what I wouldn't do. In all fairness, I do know what I wouldn't do. So now you're left at a question of why. Why was that the reaction? Was that the reaction because he was a gentleman? Is that a reaction because he was sportive? Is it a reaction because this isn't sanctioned and I don't get into this stuff? I don't tend to think so because I watched Paul legally assault Dylan Dennis. So I, I don't buy into he's a gentleman. I don't buy into he's a sportsman. I watched him commit a crime and drive away as Dylan was coming from him. So with that in mind, the question does come back to why did Paul behave that way? Why did Why was that his response? And what is it within himself that he's questioning? And perhaps it could have been just a different rule set. Right? I mean, if, if, if they get into some kind of guerrilla antics, it's anything goes until somebody steps in and breaks it up, which is going to take you anywhere from 8 to 20 seconds at a maximum. However, that's not the Queensberry rules. And I can also use the equation back to Connor and Floyd. Do you guys know why Dana White was every single place Connor went if Floyd was there? Do you think it was so Dana could get his own face out there? Or so that Dana could say something. No, it wasn't. It was written in the contract. Dana White was the security. They wrote it into a contract. Literally, Conor McGregor touches Floyd Mayweather. This deal is off. Literally. If he touch, not if we fight, not if he takes me down, not if he kicks at me. If Conor touches Floyd, everything's off. They put it in a legal contract. Dana to make sure that that clause of the contract stayed intact, went everywhere. That's why Dana was there, just to bring that to you. And now that I've armed you with that, go back and watch because there was a great moment. Connor walks behind Floyd. Now, you never let somebody behind you, ever. Never. You find yourself in a fight. The first thing you do is put your back up against a wall. Make sure you at least know where it's coming from. Floyd allowed Connor to walk behind him. It was very interesting, and Floyd was sitting there very calm. But I know that Floyd agrees with me. You don't ever let the enemy behind you, but Floyd did let him behind. And when Connor was behind him, Connor actually patted Floyd on the head. He just patted his head. He just petted, real gentle. Floyd did nothing. Connor did nothing and walked away. Go back and rewatch that and watch Dana White's face. Because Connor just broke the deal. I mean, the legal, they could have called that whole fight off. Zufa boxing, everybody, it would have been gone. They could have. They could, I realize I'm being silly. Who's going to burn that over somebody touching on their head? But go back and watch Dana's face, and you will know why and how serious this was, and you'll understand why Dana was there. But if you juxtapose that against Paul's reaction to Askren, where that isn't written down, that isn't a deal, I think I can beat you, but specifically specifically under one rule set of which isn't followed should we jump off here on the stage. It is one of those things. It is one of those things. I'm asking because why was Paul questioning? And I might have just given him the answer. Because Paul in no make-believe land thinks he can beat up Ben Askren. However, in a certain make-believe land, suspending reality just far enough, does he believe he can beat him with the Queen's Bear rule sets? That's ultimately the big question. And I think that that question is now getting called to the floor. Does Paul really think he can beat Askren? Because a number of people and a number of you are saying that he can. That's between those boys. Me shouting over here doesn't make me right. That's between those boys. But what I'm asking you is, do you believe something that Jake Paul doesn't? Normally in between segments, I try to come up with some fancy way of connecting topics. But after talking about Ben and Jake for the thousandth time, I can't. Let's just talk about John Jones. John Jones and Jose Aldo have a few things in common. I mean, think about it from this perspective. These are both guys who, for a period of time, were the absolute best in their craft. But they're both guys who did it absence of a fan base. And you sit and you wonder why. And with Jose Aldo... It was very easy to identify, which was what Aldo wanted to do, and he lacked communication, right? He was he was unable to come out and speak to people, but it also wasn't what he was interested in. He was interested in competing, refining his skills, getting his hand raised onto the next. Okay, did a great job. We can see why. 
didn't have a fan base, we can see why. John's is very similar, except John will communicate. He just always separates himself from. He, he does not want to be of the people. And he always does this to make this clear. He does not want to be of the people. He wants to be above the people. I mean, I watched John on an Instagram when people were saying to him that he was scared of Francis. And John came out and he just goes, look, just because you guys are scared of Francis doesn't mean I'm scared of Francis. That was a great and fair and simple point. But he didn't stop. He then said, remember, you're probably not a lot like me. And I'm just sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is to his own, his own people on his own social media. And he just informed them that they're not like him. But it's always something like this, right? I mean, but it's always something along these lines. John will come out and lay for you how well he's done in the sport or how many times he's defended a championship, all which are true and all of which are things that somebody would look to. He will then use that as an argument as to why he should make more. It's not the world's worst argument. It's tired, it's played out, but you can see how somebody would logically come to that conclusion. But John has then changed the argument. It now isn't about what I've done, which is why I should be rewarded. He's now changed it to, this is more dangerous. He's making it about hazard pay. He's saying fighting Francis and fighting at heavyweights is more dangerous and therefore I should be paid more. But once again, he separated himself from everybody else. All of you have watched John Jones and all of you go and make a living each day. Have any of you identified a harder day from a less hard day and used and gone and renegotiated with your employer ever? Have you ever done that? And would you be able to? And what if your boss conceded and goes, yeah, this is a more dangerous job. That's true. You're going to be on the third floor today instead of ground level. And I could see where if you fell just by an example, it's going to be more dangerous. I'm not going to pay you any more money, but in the past, it's been pretty cushy and pretty safe, hasn't it? So it all kind of balances out, and you're going to look around, you're going to go, yes. The same reason that you don't ever have the LeBronzes or the Tiger Woodses or the Serenas of the world coming out and wanting to negotiate before each game. Because yes, some are going to be harder and some are going to be easier. And they're not going to take less when they're easier, and therefore they're not going to get more when it's harder. It's one of these things that no person could do. But he's trying to, which separates him from the base. Because none of you that watch John get to do that. Now, I would suspect that none of you who don't get to do that, I would suspect that you would never even try. What's the difference? Don't you just know that? Like, you're an adult. Does somebody have to sit, a fellow adult has to sit down and explain to you how this whole thing balances out and evens out? Does somebody really have to sit and explain to John Jones that yes, we all agree there's going to be a good night of business, but what about these seven fights that you had? Of the seven, only one of them, the arena sold out? I mean, are you guys aware of that? In John's last seven fights, he sold out one arena. It was against Gustafson, and it sold out exclusively because people thought Gus could beat him. They disliked John so much that the one arena to fill it was because they thought Gus could beat him. That's okay, by the way. I'm a guy who made a career off of people hating him. I was the guy where the boos were louder than my opponent's cheers, but the arenas were always full. So I'm not coming to you from a standpoint of because people dislike John so much. I'm coming at you to identify, because much like Jose Aldo, who as great as he was, Never spoke to anybody. Okay, but now we know why he didn't have the big fan base. We also know why John doesn't. It's because he continually separates himself from the pack. He does not want to be a man of the people. He does not want to be of the people. He very clearly wants there to be people, and then they're all looking up to John. And it's just one of these weird things. It's one of these very, very strange things, where whether he's talking about how great he was, which is very unique to him, because he was cloaked in success, but it still separates him. Or now he's saying it's more dangerous. I mean, do you understand? It doesn't go both ways. Francis is a dangerous fight. Francis is a scary fight. Stipe, of course, didn't get any more to fight him. Rosenstruck didn't get any more to fight him. Blades didn't get any more either time that he fought him. But it doesn't make the statement any less true. Francis is a scary night out. For sure. True statement by John. But if we're going to take that, then we have to also look at the other side of the coin. So what do we do when we get there? I would just ask John this. I would not ask John. That's not true. I would not have a logical conversation with John Jones at all. I would do what Dana does, which is I wouldn't even talk to him. I would I would purely have 
Somebody else is going to do that, right? But I would ask even if a rhetoric comment, rhetorically so, which is, what do we do on the nights that aren't as dangerous? What do we do on the nights where you're taking on somebody that is not striking heavy, that is more grappling based? What do we do then? Because if we're going to write this contract out and it's going to be good for X amount of fights or as long as you're the champion and you've shown that you're pretty good at keeping that belt, what do we do on those nights? And this is where you're going to see how irrational he is or, or unlogical and unfair. Nothing. He would never concede. Nobody would. In all fairness, nobody would. John's not unique on that. No fighter would do that. They're all going to go, well, I'm still going to get what I have coming to me. If you're telling me it's not as big of a fight, then you're saying that you didn't do your job. Your job's to promote the fight. Your job's to sell the fight. My job's just to show If I show up and do it, but you, it's not as big of a night, then that, that's on you. Every fighter's going to have that mindset. It's okay. It's okay. But you can see the problem that the other side of the table is in, which is, yes, some nights I will concede. I'm not going to be able to do my job as well as I'm going to be able to do for this one. So what do we do? What do we do? What is the right answer? I will tell you, the right answer is already in place. The mechanism is already there. It's called a threshold and it's your participation. How much do I get on the back end? That all has to do with how well did the front do? So it all corrects itself. And those big nights will be treated differently and there will be different rewards and compensation. And then it will kind of balance out. It will kind of balance out and nobody has to take a loss. It's just that the gains won't be as high. It's fair it's reasonable, it's well thought out, it goes back to the beginning of this business model, which is unique to pay-per-view, it's consistent, all things that John Jones are not. John Jones, he's one of the greatest of all time, no one can deny that. And in the news this week are a couple of other guys you might consider the greatest of their time. GSP was out in Texas. He stops by and he's doing Joe Rogan's show. And one of the things that GSP spoke about is how much he appreciated Khabib, how good Khabib is, but he was also personalizing it and saying, you know, of all of the styles that are out there, I think that Khabib would be the worst to deal with just because he, he hurts people. You know, he throws you down and he beats on you. He makes you feel helpless. And GSP is very right. And he was very right to put Khabib over and shine his wheels in that way because that's what Khabib did. No one ever talks about this, but Khabib Nurmagomedov is the most dominant fighter the sport has ever seen. There is no fighter to have more 10-8 rounds than Khabib. Nobody nobody ever says that about him, and I don't know why. Because it's a, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous compliment. The most dominant fighter you know, the pound for pound and who's the best and the greatest of all time. These are all opinion. You can't lie with those numbers. Khabib's got more 10-8 rounds than anybody. So I only bring that to you because I don't know that I look back with such resentment that we didn't have that fight as I do to others. A couple of great fights that we could have had and passed on. Anderson Silva versus Matt Hughes. Both as champions, both in their prime. The champ-champ thing and the leaving of divisions just wasn't around yet, and it never happened. Anderson Silva again versus John Jones. Champ-champ thing just wasn't around. You don't leave your division. And I think as we look back, ugh, miss. Should have done it. But there's something with Khabib and George. As great as that fight would have been, there's something that feels right about it never having happened. One of those guys has to lose... Legacy. One of those guys has to now lose the argument of go. We get it. That's what this is about. It's competition. I understand. But there is something that feels right. And maybe it's because they're both baby faces. Maybe it's because they're both good guys. They're both gentlemen. That it doesn't feel right to take that away from somebody. But there is a large piece of me that when we reflect back on what could have been with George and Khabib, that I'm glad it didn't happen. I mean, there's a large part of me, right? I'm, I imagine a larger part would have wanted to see it and still does want to see it. But when I'm looking at 170 pounds, Colby Covington comes to mind. Who is Colby going to fight next? Masvidal just called Colby out 
And I haven't heard Masvidal do that before. I have not heard Masvidal go after Kobe. He's been very dismissive. And Masvidal's talking about this from the perspective of, I'm going to beat Usman, and I'm going to go beat Kobe. As though Masvidal is really starting to lay out his championship run, which would be incredible because of all of the problems we have at 170 pounds right now, none of them sit with the champ, Usman. Usman is in there. Usman is busy. Usman is ready to go. But the rest of the division, man, it's a, it's just a little bit confusing. And I don't know I don't know where Colby would go. I know everything worked out for Masvidal. I know Masvidal sitting out on the sidelines and holding out for Usman. I get that it all worked out. But it's going to work out for somebody. It doesn't mean that the strategy was right. Usman beats Burns. Usman grabs the microphone. He calls out Masvidal. I mean, you're going to run that back? Yeah, okay, great. Masvidal's going to get the fight. I don't know if that same thing's going to happen twice. I don't know that it's going to happen for Colby. If it doesn't happen for Colby, where does Colby go? Because a lot of the pieces are coming off the board. We just saw Gilbert Burns just got matched up with Wonderboy, by example. Not a whole lot of guys calling Colby out. I know Michael Chiesa still exists on that list somewhere. I know that Chemayev is coming back. Leon is now tied up with Nate. I mean, I'm just saying there's not a whole lot of pieces left on the board of meaningful top fights. I don't know how much I believe the idea that it's going to be uh, Chiesa versus Covington. But I do know for the guys that are willing to do it, which is a very small amount. Guys don't want to fight Colby. Colby will hurt you. He's not just going to beat you. He's going to hurt you. It's one of those things. That list gets a little bit smaller. And it does seem as though, I mean, we're going to have to see what happens here. I would imagine if, if Masvidal beats Usman, I would imagine they just go into part three. And now everybody in the division gets the can kicked. Which starts to mean, where's Chemayev? It starts to make Chemayev look a little bit more interesting. Let's see what happens at 170 pounds. I am going to suggest for you, though, that if anybody is waiting around to try to fight Masvidal in the event he beats Usman, you're playing a fool's move because I believe they're going to have to go to the rubber match. And if you're waiting around hoping that Usman's going to call you out after he gets done with Masvidal, I think you're making a bad move because I think Usman is probably going to take his oars out of the water. I think he's probably going to do the one thing he hasn't done in a bit, which is give himself a break. That's my guess. My encouragement, my encouragement would be simply, don't wait. You're at 170 pounds, don't wait. Before we wrap up today's show, there's a big main event on Saturday. So let's talk about that and what it means for the middleweight division. Angry Marvin has declared himself the number one contender. Number one contender by default, and then he laid out his reasons. Works for me. I got no problem with it. I thought it was great. Now, I will tell you as we look at the middleweights, okay, I think when you look at Whitaker and Gatslam, I think that's a bigger fight. I think that that's going to steal just naturally a little bit of the allure. So, Angry Marvin is really going to have to make sure that he pours it on. He can't miss this moment. I don't think anybody has to worry about Kevin Holland because Holland has already told us all he's going to go down to 170. I don't think Holland is going to be in the talks. Great, one less player. But I think that Angry Marvin needs to understand that just winning, even winning on big shows, even winning on ABC, isn't going to be how you get to Adesanya. Adesanya is very unique, and you must insult him. You must insult him just the right way. Adesanya will pick who he's going to fight. He will influence that greatly. He also has the right to do that because he always calls for the hardest fight, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with Adesanya weighing in on who his opponent should be, particularly when it's opponent that on the right day and on paper can whip him. We know he's going to go after somebody, but if angry Marvin comes off endearing and charismatic, Adesanya might just like him. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Adesanya was so annoyed with Kevin Holland, he wouldn't give him the time of day. Kevin took his shot. I don't, I don't think Kevin did anything wrong. He went for it. He just happened to annoy him. Didn't work out. I think that Marvin, as he's working this in, I think he does need to declare himself number one contender. I kind of like that argument that it's by default. I mean, if some of these other guys aren't going to show up till... 
Paul Acosta, by example, and this is what Marvin's talking about, but if they can't show up and they can't defend it, I mean, he's he's got a little bit of a claim here, and he's in a big fight, and it's going to be on ABC. Just make sure, angry Marvin, that you don't miss the one ingredient, which is, and it's very unique, this is not just let's impress Dana. This is not just let's get the fans and get the media. Adesanya is a very relevant piece to that puzzle. And if he likes the shtick too much, I mean, it could become a problem. If, if, if he ends up thinking you're a funny guy, it's going to be a problem. And I think that Marvin needs to keep showing the sincerity. Marvin hasn't done a miss for me. I mean, Marvin has been very on point for me. Not to mention, you know, his last fight, big win, but he stepped in on short notice. He deserves credit for that. But this fight is very similar too. Even though Marvin knew about the date, he did not know about the opponent. So even though Holland has saved the day, I mean, Marvin deserves a little bit of shine too. He's also moving forward with things, which is largely his own argument that I'm here. I'm here anytime with anyone. And for that reason and that reason alone, it makes me a number one contender. And you know what, guys? I don't see a damn thing wrong with that logic. I don't see a damn thing. So if Angry Marvin's going to be the number one contender, how's he going to get the number one fight? It's not just the blessing of Dana. That would be it in every other weight class. In every other weight class, that's the guy. You got to get Adesanya's attention. You're not going to get it through being nice. Adesanya is an animal that if you back him in, he's going he's going to come after you. So you got to back him. You got to push him into a corner. You got to embarrass him in some way. You've got to challenge him in some way. There's an art to it. But Izzy's watching. Izzy, Izzy's looking for a contender. He's looking for somebody. I believe Izzy's looking for parity. I don't think Izzy wants to get in there with Whitaker or Gatslam again. I know that he would. I don't think he wants to. I think he's looking for somebody new. I think that Marvin, angry Marvin, not Marvin, it's got to be angry Marvin, fits the bill. So when Marvin's doing his press and he's putting himself over and he's screaming from the rooftops, have a little plan. How are you going to get the attention of the champ? Because in this weight class, that is paramount. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. If you enjoyed it, leave a five-star review. Like our beloved listener, Dana, who says, I love Chael, and he's by far my all-time favorite MMA fighter and personality. Well, thank you, Dana. Enjoy Holland and Angry Marvin on Saturday. And be back here Wednesday with me. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>